Hello everybody, this is Matt Karinga, and I want to welcome you to week three of our summer learning analytics class. And in this short podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit about last week and the work we did, and then look at this week and the work we're going to do, and then invite you to ask me any questions or voice any concerns, give us any feedback that you think is important. So last week we did two readings. One I assigned to everybody, and that was uh, Baker's article on stupid tutors and kind of a look at, at why this idea of data-driven instructional design systems hasn't met its goals, um, you, you know, kind of the high expectations that we had for it and how like more recent innovations like massive online courses that are also seem very promising might not and he he then gives us a, a kind of idea of how we can refocus our learning analytics so that humans can take a, a you know a larger role in the interventions so from there i asked you guys to choose an article that was interesting and then we we're going to have a a little bit of a Moodle discussion about those articles. So that's what we did last week. And I think that generally it worked pretty well. And this is kind of a reflection on on myself and, and the assignment as well as on the work that we did together as a class. I think that people did good jobs generally choosing articles that were interesting and worth reading and pursuing. And um, our discussion, though, I'd probably give it more of like a B. It wasn't quite an A-quality online discussion. And I think partly that was lack of clear goals that are articulated on my part. And um, I want to give some, some feedback on how we can, can improve our discussions going on generally. Um, so a couple of the threads actually had pretty good discussions, and we got to some substantive um, kind of were able to drill down and have some back and forth. But generally, they were just kind of the one person posted something and then there were a couple unrelated comments underneath them. So in the initial posts, I think that if you think of your post as following the same rules you would for writing a good essay, even though it's brief, I think that will go a long way. So you want to have a clear thesis you want to provide context for what you're doing, and you want to have a strong point of view for this type of writing. So obviously, if you read a 20-page or 15-page research article and you're writing a 300-word post, you're not going to discuss the whole thing, the breadth of it. But you should summarize the key ideas and talk about like, um, you know, the context of it, who did it, why they did it, when they did it. And then you should just talk about one thing that you think is interesting, controversial, that you really agree with, that you disagree with, or that connects with something that you want to learn more about or something you're doing in work or something like that. So that's my general advice. Give a brief summary and then focus on something that you think is particularly relevant, interesting, and worth discussing further. Um, and then on a more practical point of view, I think people need to subscribe to the forums and kind of log in more. In a lot of these threads, there are comments and questions raised by 
by students in the class or even by me. And then the original poster, it seems like they never came back in. They didn't read the comments. They didn't reply to any of the comments on the thread that they started. So we can't have a good discussion if there's not this kind of daily or even quicker kind of back and forth. So we're going to do several different kinds of discussions this summer. And this is one of them on Moodle. Some of them will be on VoiceThread like we were doing in the first week. Uh, we might even try some, some Slack-based discussions later on. So keep this in mind, and hopefully we can, all of us can do a little better in the next one. Now looking ahead this week, there are two things that we're asking you to do. One is to read an article about learning analytics, and the second is the first graded assignment for, for the semester, and it's a Tableau exercise. So let me talk about the article first, and then we'll talk about the data exercise second. Um, the article is called The Perspective Reels and Brings to Le Learning Analytics in the Classroom. And hopefully you guys will find it both useful and interesting. In it, the authors present a model or methodology for conducting learning analytics. And their focus is really at the teacher and classroom level. They come up with a detailed case study of an instructor in a in a you know undergraduate college level statistics courses, and then they talk about how, in that in that case, they might apply the model that the authors are are suggesting for us. So a couple things to keep in mind is that so far, the readings we've been doing have kind of been looking at learning analytics on a large scale, like. Uh, how are they used to at a university-wide level to to prevent dropouts, or how are they used to design um, a machine-based tutor where you can can teach ten thousand kids uh, math or something? So this is actually a much smaller level where they're bringing it down to kind of the classroom and how can you use learning or what they call learner analytics to actually take action in a classroom at that level. So a couple things I want to point out. Um, one is they, they really focus on the idea of theory and having a theory that, that drives uh, how we use and, and implement learning analytics. And one thing that, that struck me is that they say in using big data, we do need to know why a student gets a bad grade. So a lot of times we have the data and we can tell, uh, we might have data points that indicate that a student might not perform well. But the authors here are claiming that we need to make theories so that we understand why that happens, not just the points that predict it. And the reason that, and, I, and here I agree with the authors, the reason that theories are important is that we want to be able to look at data and then take action. So that's part of their, their model, and I'll talk about that in a second. But if we don't have a, a working theory, then we don't know how to change what we're doing in, in a way that's not random. So if, if I have a theory that I'm trying to develop, test, refute, and see how it works or extend it to different cases, 
then I'm, I have a, a meaningful choice to make in how I want to change the way I'm teaching or how I want to change the way I design a course. Uh, if I don't have a theory and I make a change, let's say that I make the readings longer or I make them shorter, uh, it's not a very efficient way to do it. And it's very hard to, if you're not doing theory-based design, then it's hard to make changes. So let's say that I have a theory based on, on the types of assignments I create, and then I suddenly have a bunch of new students that aren't like the students I had before. If I have a strong theory, I'll understand how these new students um, are going to interact with, with my materials. And the new students might be students who are taking the course fully online for the first time as opposed to in a blended format where I see them um, once a week on campus, you know. So a strong theory will help me understand and adapt my model to different situations. Without it, then I'm just kind of making random changes, like maybe I'll give more readings, maybe I'll give less readings, maybe I'll give more writing, maybe I'll give less writing. But I don't know why I'm doing it, and it's going to be, make it hard to, to make changes to it to improve it. Um, they talk about teaching as a design process and they they have a, a kind of a fancy diagram of, of their model and generally uh, I want to talk about design because you know that there there are a lot of different models of design thinking design modeling and they all share some common things so so when you're looking at their specific model think of it in the context of a design process where the first step is to identify a problem um, and goals. So in their case study, the problem would be to effectively teach statistics to a wide variety of students. Uh, the next part is to understand the problem. So that understanding the problem is almost always synonymous with understanding the users in, in a classroom case, understanding the students. So being able to understand um, and again, this is driven by theory too, because there's no, there's never going to be a complete understanding, but if you have a theory of learning, then you can try to understand the relevant aspects of your students' lives. So if you think that, um, you know, their, their work situation affects their how they study and how they learn, then you would want to understand that part and and kind of get a, a, a better grasp of what the variety of work, home life, school life interactions are. So once you have an understanding of the problem and you've clearly identified it, you would consider a range of solutions. You would pick what you consider to be the best ones based on, you know, different models have different criteria for choosing them, but generally, uh, you want to pick what is the most efficient one. So you want to address the greatest um, number of users with the least amount of work that will go into creating the solution for the optimal result. Um, and you want to then test the solution and reflect and then redesign it. So that's, that's a general design process. And here they present a more detailed one for learning analytics. And they focus on actionable data. And there are a couple points that I want to, to kind of highlight. 
I think that when we're doing learning, learning analytics, and if we take kind of a learner analytics or learning analytics approach to our teaching or our instructional design, it's important that we have to design for the type of data we're going to collect. And that's something that we're going to see. I mentioned it last week when I was talking about redesigning our course as I was starting to do our own analytics on, on the Moodle log data. And that's going to be kind of a key element in a change in the way we think. So when you're designing your instruction, as part of our instructional design is going to be designing the data collection process. So if we can put in either explicit steps, like in their example, they they add um, a survey item to the beginning of the class and they add a couple elements to the end of semester survey. Uh, so those are explicit data items. And then to also uh, put into or kind of optimize the type of passive data collection. Uh, and along these lines, another thing that the authors brought up is that really the best data or the most data comes when we have technology that mediates instruction. That's when we get all this passive usage data. So it's much harder to have data points in a classroom discussion than in a Moodle discussion. In Moodle, by default, I can count uh, how many words each student posted, how many times they viewed the forum, which types of posts got the most responses and all of those things. Whereas in a, and that's kind of built into Moodle. Whereas if we had a classroom discussion, those things could all be in there and I could make a recording of it and do that analysis, but that's very tedious and time consuming. It's the kind of thing an educational researcher might do or um, you know a social researcher, but it's not the kind of thing a teacher could do um, on a regular basis. But we could build these tools one time to visualize a Moodle discussion forum, and then we can use it and refine that model and keep it up. So really, learning analytics, in the way that we're talking about it, doesn't exist outside of technology-mediated instruction. Uh, the last thing is that the authors and the authors take a very philosophical um, approach to this, where they, they discuss uh, epistemological realism and contrast it to postmodern anti-realism, and they bring it in pragmatism there. And I'm not sure how much they didn't sell me entirely on how much it adds to their model, but just because some of these terms are, are going to be unfamiliar to the students in the class in the specific kind of technical way they're being used here, I do link to, um, in the notes, I link to some articles about them from the Stanford Online Encyclopedia of Philosophy. And just generally, the idea of realism and the way they're using it here is that there's an independent, knowable world that exists completely outside of, of being observed or being known. So there's a world that, that is out there that's knowable. There are true things about it and we can know them through empirical methods. They contrast that position to postmodern anti-realism, as they call it, and that's, and this is, they don't really, um, they don't like this position, that they, they don't give it much, much credence, but that position would be that knowledge and truth can never be separated from the context of knowing that, that truth. 
So there's no real world one version of it that completely exists independently of the person that knows it or the people or the group that knows it. So everything we know is kind of um, tainted is an unfair word, but everything we know is, is, is understood in the social, cultural, linguistic context of it being known. So there, there may be a real world, but there's no independent real world that's out there. Uh, and then they talk about pragmatism, and pra pragmatism is a uh, it's it's a philosophy where the focus is on an epistemology, so a theory of knowledge and knowing that is based in action and use. So they they want a realist pragmatism, but prag pragmatism kind of cuts across. Uh, both a, maybe a postmodern anti-realism and a realist point of view. But it's the idea that what's important is how a truth is actually used and how it's enacted in a, in a context and how it is a useful thing to know or, or way of knowing. So I just, just wanted to put that out there. And if you're interested in this, I think the authors explain it enough, but I do add some links if you want to dig into it a little bit more. Um, all right. So that's the article and I want everyone to read it. And I think that, you know, in the first week, a lot of people were asking questions um, or saying things like they want to see what learning analytics looks like or what a real case is. So this article presents uh, the type of learning analytics that you guys might do or that I might do um, for my own benefit, like outside of, of like a major research project or something. Uh, this is kind of like a real life pragmatic case study of using learning analytics for teaching and learning. Um, so hopefully you'll enjoy it. And I didn't put up a discussion forum for it this week. So read the article. And if anything seems interesting or unclear, uh, just post it on Slack and we can talk about it there. Now, the second thing is the first graded assignment is due this week. And this is where you're going to have to have Tableau set up and running. And uh, you're actually going to dive in to Tableau prep. So we're going to be using two different software packages from Tableau, the software company. One is called Tableau Prep and one is called Tableau Desktop. So their main software that they're known for is Tableau Desktop. But any part of data science, the first step is getting the data into a format where you can analyze it. And that's where Tableau Prep comes in. So uh, we've uploaded a sample Moodle data set like the one that I was using, um, like the real one that I showed you guys. And then we, we have a prep exercise for it. So you, you're going to install Tableau Prep and then you're going to load this CSV file. And a CSV is a plain text version of kind of a, a spreadsheet. So CSV stands for comma separated values. So you have rows and columns and you're going to use Tableau to load that into it. And then we just give you some tasks to remove the IP address, um, to remove the instructor data, remove students who drop the course, and then create aliases. And to be able to do this, um, you'll be able to, to go through many of the 
the kind of key ideas or key elements of, of Tableau prep. So do it. Once you're comfortable with it, make a screencast and then upload your screencast video to YouTube and post it in the forum. So this is a different type of forum this week where you won't be able to see the other people's responses until you post. So the idea is you create your screencast independently of everybody else and then you upload it and you can see how other people did it. And then we have some, some um, requirements that we ask you to, to look at the other videos and see the diversity of doing it. So there are many solutions to this problem. And then after all is done, Aaron has also created his own solution and kind of talks through it. So after everyone has posted, I'm going to put his, his solution up as well. Um, I'll just add it right into our discussion forum and we can have comments on there as well. So, you know, I expect that people are going to run into some problems, maybe some technical issues. And, you know, as graduate students in a technology in an online program, I don't expect everybody to know everything. Like you may have never done a screencast before. You may have never uploaded a, a video to YouTube. So that's totally fine. Like we might ask you to do things you've never done before. You can either ask for help from me. You can ask the other students or you can, you know, try to find the documents there. So, you know, if you haven't done it yet, just let us know and we're here to help you with it. All right. So this week, there are two things you're going to do. You're going to read the article. When you're reading it, uh, I think probably the most interesting thing is thinking about this idea of theory and practice and the importance of having a learning theory. And then in particular, how that learning theory or having a learning theory and developing a theory would inform the type of uh, learning analytics we do. And then we're going to dive into Tableau. And, you know, it's a very discreet um, assignment. So we kind of lay out what you're supposed to do and then you're going to upload that and we're going to talk about it on Moodle. Okay. So if everyone can try to get their stuff uploaded sooner, you know, by Thursday, Friday, then we'll have a couple days to be able to talk about it. And we did post a, a link to Linda. So Linda has a bunch of training and learning videos that are available through Delphi. And they have a whole course on using Tableau. So I posted one uh, that has relevant uh, content to the types of things you're doing. So if you wanted a deeper dive into Tableau and you don't want to just play around with it, you could do the Linda first or do the Linda halfway through and see if that helps you out as well. All right. Enjoy this week. And as always, let me know if you have any questions. And we'll talk soon.